Good evening, brothers and sisters. On this great solemnity, we celebrate the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This is an essential Christian doctrine, not just a doctrine, but in fact, a dogma that the church has formally proclaimed so that we would have no doubt that Mary from the first moment of her conception was immaculate, free from any stain of original sin. Normally, when a child is conceived in the womb, the body that is formed by the parents calls out to God for a soul. And then God sends a soul, he creates one and instills it in that newly formed body. And since the body was created in original sin by the parents who have original sin, then the soul is also tainted by original sin. This is not what happened with the Blessed Mother. Even though her body called out for a soul with original sin, that's not what he gave her. He gave her an immaculate soul. And that gift of grace and the fullness of grace that she received when her soul was bestowed upon her body sanctified her body and she was totally pure from this first moment forward. Now the church has always believed this. The only reason it's been formally dogmatized was just to set all confusion aside, to clarify, to define the teaching. But we've always believed this since the earliest times and one of the best ways to defend this teaching is in our gospel today. When the angel Gabriel was sent by God, we know that the words he used to speak to Mary were obviously the Lord's. God told him what to say, he came down, and he said it. He didn't make this up, it wasn't his idea. He's an archangel, and he's a perfect messenger. He would not be making up his own words. So when he greeted Mary, which is the formal thing you do when you greet, you know, when you meet somebody, first thing he said was, hail. I know it sounds nice, it was just hello, basically. How are you doing? Howdy, right? We have a lot of different greetings that we normally use in language. He said, hail, hello. And the next thing to follow in a normal greeting would be the name of the person. Like if you're trying to get my attention, you'd say, hail Father Miller. Or not hail, but you know what I mean. That's the normal process of a human greeting. But that's not what he does. It's not like he didn't know her name was Mary. In fact, we're already told her name was Mary. She was a virgin named Mary in Nazareth. So we know her name was Mary, but he didn't call her Mary. He says, hail full of grace. Now, when you're greeting Father Miller, you could say, hello, Father Miller, pastor of St. Dorothy's. That would be a fair assessment. My name is Father Miller, my occupation, my job, my vocation, pastor of St. Dorothy's. You could say, oh, wise and holy one after that too, if you thought it appropriate. <laughs> but you wouldn't just call me wise and holy one, right? That, that's not my name. And yet, he uses this statement, full of grace, as a formal name. In place of her name, he is naming her by the word of God. He is saying that she possesses not just fullness of grace, but that it is hers by right. She is unique and singular. There is no one else like her. She is the only one who can be called by this name. 
full of grace. Even in the English translation, if you think about it logically, it makes perfect sense. In order to be full of grace, there can be nothing else in you. If there's anything else that's not grace, then you're not full. So she's full of grace. She's not like, hail, mostly full of grace, partially full of grace. That's how he would greet you and me. But he gives her this title, full of grace, completely filled to the brim. Nothing lacking, nothing else, just grace. So even in the English translation, we see that he is stating that as a person, she is lacking in no grace. That is not possible if she had original sin. That's just not possible. His statement alone tells us that there's something different about her. But if you look at the original language, and I'm going to butcher the, the proper pronunciation of this, please forgive me. But in, I'm t I was terrible in English class in school, just terrible, I can't remember. So the tense, that's I think is what it is, the tense in which he is speaking when he says full of grace is if I'm, if I'm re remembering rightly, a present perfect participle. Don't quote me on that. It's something like that, okay? And what it means whenever that tense is used in a language is it's a statement about the present that began in the past. It's a statement about the present that began in the past. So he is saying, not only are you full of grace today, here at this moment when I'm speaking to you, but you were full of grace before. That this, this gift that you have was bestowed upon you in a perfect way in the past. Now again, you, if you don't look at the original language, if you don't understand the proper tenses, you might not even know this. But it was very clear to the early church, not only from the Gospel of Luke, but it, it was written this way because this was believed by the early church. Now, the church gives us not only the definitive dogma that she was immaculately conceived, but the church also offers us reasons why. Now, the church doesn't know why, but she can speculate, and she's pretty good at it. And one of the simple reasons why Mary had to be totally spotless and free from any sin is because she is the mother of God. That's the reason it had to be. Mary could not be the mother of Jesus Christ if she, original sin had ever touched her nature, body or soul. And logically, we can understand and believe this because where did Jesus get his body? He got it from Mary. Jesus' body, the body that saves us from sins, the body that we receive in Holy Communion, came from the body, the cells of the Blessed Mother. He took actual cells from her body, an egg from her body, and he made himself a body inside her womb. If original sin had ever touched her body in any way, then the cells he took would have been tainted. They would have been tainted cells. Do you think Jesus Christ's body can have anything to do with sin? What happens when Jesus Christ's body touches other bodies? They're healed. 
What happens when he speaks a word of mercy? They're forgiven. His body is what wipes away sin. Therefore, sin cannot touch it. It certainly couldn't have been made from sinful flesh. Now, some may argue, no, Mary only became sinless or pure when he took flesh from her. But that means the body of Christ, or at least the matter that made up that body, at one point was tainted by original sin. That's not possible. That is not possible. Christ has nothing to do with sin. He suffers its consequences. But he casts out sin when his body approaches. Since his body was made from hers, her body had to have never been touched by this evil. Now, Mary didn't earn this grace. It's not like she did something so amazing, God said, yeah, she's just fantastic. I'm going to make her an immaculate conception. No, she did nothing to earn this grace, nothing whatsoever. Because, in fact, the grace of the immaculate conception was not given for her. It was given for all of us. Someone had to be his mother. Someone had to be made immaculate to be his mother so that he could come into the world and save us all from sin. This is not merely a feast day in which we celebrate her glory and honor. We do. But this is our gift. This grace was bestowed upon her for love of us all. And even though we might not be able to share in that grace in the same way, obviously, on some level, I would have liked to have been conceived immaculately and not fall prey to sin as much, but, you know, it's not the grace given to me. Trust me, it's not the grace given to you either, just in case there was some doubt. The grace of the Immaculate Conception was given for me. And this great honor, blessing bestowed upon her was not because she earned it, but because she was God's chosen instrument. This is why the Blessed Mother takes no pride in it. She doesn't think she's better than you and me, even though she is. <laughs> That's one of the reasons our Lord loves her so much. Why he chose her among all other women. Because with all of the gifts he bestowed upon her in exalting her above every other being he ever made, she still is so humble. You know how this is. When you love somebody and you want to give them something, and they're just so humble in how they receive it, and they're so grateful to you, and they just love you all the more for it, don't you want to give them more? It's precisely because of her response to his grace that he desires to heap upon her blessing upon blessing. And that's true with any one of us. The more our humility and imitation of her, the more our gratitude for the love and grace that he has given us, the more he heaps blessings upon us. And in the end, in a certain sense, when we die, and after the resurrection of the dead, when our bodies are given to us in heaven, we will be immaculate at that time, body and soul. We will be able to share in a very perfect way in the grace that was bestowed upon her 
see, it's for us that we celebrate this great mystery. So we offer our thanks, not only for this great mother that the Lord has given us, who constantly intercedes on our behalf, who offered herself the handmaid of the Lord. Whatever God wanted to do with her, through her, she offered that out of love for him and out of love for us. And so we thank her for that sacrifice, that self offering, but we also pray and ask her to help us learn to imitate that same self-gift. We might not be immaculate, but we can offer the little that we have, whatever it may be, to God's service. Let her words echo on our lips when you know the will of God. Say, let it be done to me according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.